You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We will look at this particular parable. And this particular parable really talks about generosity and kindness and compassion. And many of you are familiar with this particular story. And so I'd like for us to go ahead and dive into the text this afternoon. And let's read from uh, Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles uh, open to the book of Luke chapter 10. And I'd like to invite you to stand along with me as we read God's Word this afternoon. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God. Can we all read this out loud altogether? With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. And what did Jesus say after that? Do this, and you will live. And in the next verse, he said, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? As Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, everybody say a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. They didn't really drink together, okay? Uh, wine is maybe medicinal at that time. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, this afternoon, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Speak to us as your people, as believers, Lord God. What is our role uh, now that we know you and have a relationship with you, Lord? And I thank you that you will use us not only with uh, our mouths in sharing the gospel, but even with our hands and feet in bringing about kindness and compassion to the people around us. We also lift up to you this coming week ahead of us as we celebrate this holiday. Uh, I pray, God, that it will be a time of connecting with family and loved ones and an opportunity for us to be able to share the gospel of Jesus uh, to our family members as well. So, Lord, we lift up to you everything that will happen today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say, Amen. How many of you are excited for the long weekend? You know, it's, uh, it's actually a, a big holiday for, for the nation. You will see that in the, even in the cemetery... Uh, Mike, excuse me. Can you, can you help me with the monitor? Even with the cemetery... Uh, you would see that there are so many people that are going to be uh, lining up in the cemetery and it's going to be filled with a huge crowd. You know, this particular time of the year is known to be uh, All Saints Day. And I, I 
I realized that there are two days that we're celebrating. All Saints Day is also known as Todos los Santos. Okay? Lahat na ng santo, something like that. Okay? And all the, you know, as a Catholic uh, nation, all the saints that were canonized are celebrated on the 1st of November. And the second is considered All Souls Day, which is a celebration or a commemoration of the souls of the departed. So, so the loved ones uh, that we have who have died ahead of us, that's why people flock to the cemetery to basically give their respect. Uh, some of them pray for their dead, uh, hoping that they will eventually get to heaven. So you would see, uh, you know, like uh, it's a common scene or scenario for people or families to hang out in the cemetery. Uh, used to do this. I would actually, you know, try to be there with the crowd, but, you know, it's kind of sometimes impossible to, to, uh, to park. But you would see entire families spending their, uh, you know, time the whole day in the cemetery, um, uh, either chatting, uh, doing reunion, playing Monopoly, uh, playing cards, or having a feast, okay? Uh, there's a lot of flowers that are being given to, for the dead. Uh, also, candles are being given to the dead. So hopefully, they're praying that their loved ones would actually be able to go and find eternal rest. But really, in the story of the Good Samaritan, we find that this particular lawyer was asking the same thing. You know, he went to Jesus one day and he said, this lawyer, this is not, by the way, uh, a legal lawyer as in our attorneys nowadays. He is actually a teacher of the law. He is one who is an expert of Shammai and the, the Torah. And he memorized the scriptures. And his, uh, his in, intent in, or intention in actually asking this question was not to seek eternal life, but somehow actually to test Jesus. So his question was what? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, we know that somehow the phrasing of this question is already uh, wrong because how many of you know how we gain eternal life? Is it about doing? It's about knowing. It's about believing, right? How many of you are born again? How many of you are saved? Can you please raise your hand? How many of you know that you're going to heaven? How many of you want to go to heaven already? Okay, not yet. Okay, in the future. In the future, we will all go there. But somehow, we are confident and we know for the fact that because Jesus Christ has given himself uh, on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, by putting our faith in him, we know we have eternal life. Now, the lawyer basically was asking Jesus more like a test or a trick question. And he said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It was a hypocritical question because he appears to be a seeker but he's not really a seeker. Now, there's another situation in the New Testament where another person, so, you know, as I was studying this particular parable, I was wondering how many people approach the Lord and ask how it is to have eternal life. The first scenario was this teacher of the law, the lawyer. I found another instance wherein the rich young ruler basically approached him one day and asked a similar question. You find that in Luke chapter 18, verse 18. And he said, a certain ruler or a rich young ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so they're basically asking the same thing. It's interesting that Jesus did not really give them the proper answer 
if I may say that, but he actually played along with them because he was actually about to expose what was in their heart. The lawyer basically wanted to prove himself as righteous, played along, Jesus played along with this guy, and he asked, what is written in the law? Because he knew for a fact that he was about to trap him. Now Jesus, in, the same in a similar encounter with this rich young ruler, now how many of you are single women here? Please raise your hand. Okay. This is probably one of the nice prayer points that you can actually include in your prayer list. Okay. If you pray for someone, pray for someone who's rich, who's young, and who's a ruler, but a Christian, right? Okay, so, mahalaga yung Christian, okay? So he was asking, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus told him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not kill, do not steal, honor your father and mother. And this rich young ruler, and we find this in Matthew 19, the rich young said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus was out there exposing what was an idol in his heart, basically. Instead of him saying a straight answer, you got to put your trust in the Lord. It's not about your work. Basically, what he did was he exposed the heart of this man, first the lawyer, and then this rich young ruler, and said, you know, if you want to follow the law on your own terms, go ahead. Be my guest. But remember this, you've got to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. And how many of you would agree with me that it's just so hard to follow every part of that law? How many of you tried following the Ten Commandments growing up? Man, it's difficult. It's virtually impossible, right? How many of you know that the purpose of the law is not for us to just follow the law per letter, but it's basically for us to realize of our need of a Savior. The law was written so that it will uh, allow you to get to that point of realizing that ultimately it is impossible for us to fulfill every part of this law and we need someone to fulfill it for us. And that is the whole essence of that law. The reason why it was given to us. First two encounters of Christ. The third encounter of another person asking him about eternal life was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. How many of you are familiar with Nicodemus? So Nick one night was asking the Lord Jesus in John chapter 3. And he basically went to him in secret because he did not want the other members of the Pharisees or the council to find out about his meeting with the Lord. And Jesus, interestingly, gave him a straight answer. In John chapter 3, verse 3, he basically just said, blurted it out. Jesus answered to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born again is not something that man invented. This is not a jargon of the church. This is red letter from the Bible. Amen. How many of you know what red letter means? When you see a red letter... It means that it went, it came straight out of the mouth of Jesus. And he said this, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He was very straight. He was very specific. You got to be born again. And then Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Wow. 
Very profound. What a question, right? Can you really enter your mother's womb and say, in the, or something like that? After, you know, of course, he did not get the, the visual, but yet Jesus clarified this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. We were born once, naturally from our mother's womb, but now we must be born again in the spirit. And he was talking about the reality of us, you know, putting our faith in the complete work of Christ on that cross. Three encounters. But yet I believe that this is so important for us to find out that, you know, now that we are saved, and many of us are born again, many of us are saved. What is the whole point of this parable, really? Because I don't want us to go out here and say, ah, okay, Jesus said, go and do likewise. We might interpret that or misinterpret that as the way to heaven is by being good. That is not what the parable is talking about. Are we here this afternoon? The point of the parable is not do good and go to heaven because you're good. Because the reality is none of us are good. Look at the person beside you and tell the person, you're not that good. <laughs> you're not that good. We're not that good. Romans chapter 3 talks about there's no one good. Not even one. And there are three characters in, the, in this particular parable. Basically, this lawyer asked, now, okay, who is my neighbor then? When he said, love your neighbor, then who is my neighbor? He, he tried to justify it. He's probably wanting to prove to Christ, okay, I think I can do that. I can handle that. I can handle loving my neighbor. Just show me who is my neighbor. Show me who to love. And it's interesting, the twist of the story, how the characters were placed in such. So there are three people in the neighborhood. First are the robbers. We found, find out in the story that these are, of course, bad people. How many of you know some people who are thieves and robbers? Don't even raise your hand, okay? So there are bad people in society. They see others with abusive intent. And basically they say, what is yours is mine. I'll take it. They take what is not theirs. And, you know, it's, it's a given. We know that. Some people do that. They actually take advantage of people. And maybe some of us used to be like that. But praise God, God changed us. Second group of people that we find in the parable are the Levite and the priest clumped into one. They're basically religious people. They're always in the temple, faithfully serving God. They're always, you know, in the worship service. Maybe they're volunteering as ushers and, you know, they're cleaning the temple and the priest is the one ministering in the Holy of Holies and the Levites are the one taking care of all the uh, articles of the temple. But yet they look at others with apathy and basically their attitude is what is mine is mine. Really, when you talk about being close to the Lord, what is the whole basis of being close to Him? Is it just staying in the temple? Is it just going to church? Or is there uh, another way of us proving our closeness to God? Or a way of us showing to the world that we are indeed 
children of God and Christians. What is the acid test of a genuine relationship with our Lord Jesus? This Levite and priest, they know the law. They're experts there. They are always in the temple. And yet their attitude is, that's not my problem. That's your problem. And I'll pray for you. In fact, they did even pray for the guy. They went to the other side, the Bible says. And their attitude is, what is mine is mine. Third is the good Samaritan, which basically looks at others with compassion. And they mix. In fact, it's interesting that this good Samaritan is not even a Jew. A Samaritan is a half-Jew. The Jews hated Samaritans. Because in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 29, it's actually a long battle between the two different groups. Somehow the Samaritans intermarried with other people outside, and so they're not considered full-fledged Jew since of, uh, because of their compromise, and they basically disobeyed the command of God not to intermarry with other people. And yet here they are. In fact, there's one instance in John chapter 4 when Jesus encountered a Samaritan woman by the well. Remember that story? He said, you know, do you have a husband? He said, she said, I don't have a husband. Okay, you don't have a husband now, but in reality, you have five husbands. And she was wondering why this Jew, Jesus, was talking to her because she said, I am a Samaritan. How come you're talking to me? Because they knew for a fact that they don't mix well. Yeah, what is interesting to note is that Jesus used a Samaritan in the story instead of a Jew helping out. It was, not, it was a Jew who was the victim. He was the one mugged by the robbers. But it was the Samaritan that was helping a Jew. In reality, what Jesus was trying to point out is to answer the question of the teacher of the law, who is my neighbor? Because what he was asking is, whom should I help? But Jesus basically answered, no, if you are a neighbor, you are the one who should be helping. Who is the neighbor who is about to help others. And what he was pointing out is the man who showed mercy, which is really the Samaritan himself. And his attitude is, what is mine is yours. Jesus is not really saying that eternal life can be gained by doing good works. In fact, good works is a proof of salvation. It is only a byproduct or a, a fruit. In the absence of of the gospel, our good deeds basically are meaningless. We may try to be good. We may try to, you know, live a life of sacrifice. But without the gospel, really our life will be empty. And I realize that when you, know, when you talk about needs, there's so many needs in the world. Would you agree with me on that? You know, we're strict. You know, you don't have to look far beyond Metro Manila. There's so much urban poor, hap, you know, uh, existing inside our city. I believe that during the time of Jesus in Jerusalem, poverty was there. There's so many problems in society, but Jesus did not come to fix every problem that is present in Jerusalem. In fact, yeah, he fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000 in another case. He raised up the dead. He healed the sick. But one of the most important ministries that Jesus had is he preached the gospel. 
I believe that doing good works is only a bridge for us to be able to give what is the most important need of mankind, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is fine for us to meet needs of people, which is so important, because many times when you become a Christian, you're all about, yeah, by faith, you know, I'm going to heaven, but what do we do next? We're so heavenly-minded, but we're no earthly good. And we need to go out of our comfort zone and start really showing you know, our, our love. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, let, the, let the light, your light shine before men so that everybody will see the love of the Father. In other words, good works does not make you righteous. How many of you know that? It does not make you righteous. You doing good works does not add to your righteousness. As I said earlier, it is not a means of salvation. It is a proof of salvation. In fact, doing good deeds sometimes will make us proud. And it tends to make us self-sufficient. And this is exactly what happened to the lawyer. In verse 25, it says, A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, knowing his heart, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And then he answered, Love the Lord your God, and then do it. How many of you know that if you love the Lord your God, you will be saved? How many of you are convinced of that? It's not by doing that that you will be saved. It is, in fact, it is impossible for us to love the Lord your God on our own volition. It is only by the grace of God that we can actually love Him back. Amen. It is impossible for us on our own free will to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength apart from the unction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That is not the qualification because if we can be saved by loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves, then what we're saying is by obeying the law, we can be saved. Are we getting it? That's not the qualification for salvation. The qualification for salvation is, Lord, I cannot do it. And I'm totally putting my faith and my trust in the complete work of Christ on that cross. That is what makes us righteous. Amen. And how many of you are glad and grateful that salvation is a free gift? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. It is free. It is offered to us. Amen. Can we just give the Lord praise for that? Can we just appreciate God and His generosity? God is good. God is generous. Sometimes you would feel that we're generous and good, but compared to His generosity, we're nothing. You know, it's kind of like receiving a Christmas bonus. It's a bonus. It's, yeah, of course, you know, it's a poor analogy, because you work for it, it's a bonus. But if you're, but if you're receiving a Christmas gift, it's free. You don't pay for it. You don't work for it. It is just received and you thank God for it. Good works alone makes us self-righteous. If we depend on good works, then the parable is not talking about this. So we're clarifying some issues here and I hope that we get this right. Self-righteousness leads to self-justification and vice versa. That's why this teacher said, okay, I know the law. And he said this, Two commandments. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. 
Do this and you will live. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to say, okay, do that and you will live? Is that like a trick answer to this guy? Actually, if someone is able to completely follow the law, then you can actually be saved. If you can follow the law. But the good news is there's only one who followed and completely obeyed the law. And you know who that is? It's Jesus Christ. Amen. There's someone who actually obeyed every letter of the law. And only one who's qualified and he is perfect. That's why the picture is he obeyed and fulfilled the law for us. And we are merely riding on his completion of that law. We put our faith in his finished work of, uh, on that cross. Amen. So Jesus is simply saying, if you, wouldn't, if you would attain eternal life by keeping the law, then okay, keep on doing it. Be my guest. Try obeying it and try doing it. And we realize that it is not possible because we are bound to fail. Of course, we know that the priest and the Levite were the ones who showed self-righteousness. The last point I want to show us is good works show that you are righteous in Christ. Good works is merely a product of our righteousness with Christ who gives us His righteousness. Apart from Him, we're nothing. In fact, the Bible says that our righteousness are like filthy rags. It's like the rags that we use in our car. I mean, that's how God sees our righteousness. When you do acts of kindness without the motivation of pleasing God, then it becomes meaningless in His eyes. But when it is based on the gospel of Christ, then this righteousness suddenly becomes meaningful. And I believe the Good Samaritan is a picture of how the church ought to act with a relationship with the Lord. This is how we ought to act now as Christians. In fact, it is not enough for us to put our faith in the Lord and just wait for Jesus to come back someday. How many of you know that you and I still have a purpose in this world? That God wants us to be salt and light and God wants us to extend His arms and feet through the body of Christ and touch the dying world and hopefully by touching it, share the gospel and save it. We're using the felt needs that they have in order for us to be able to deliver their real need, which is ultimately the salvation for their souls. And this will actually open up the world for them. But as a Samaritan, as he journeyed, take note of all the verses here, or the verbs. He came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him bound up his wounds, pouring out or pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So many verbs of compassion and kindness that is found in these two verses. He came to where he was, which was total opposite of how, on how the Levite and the priest have actually reacted when they saw this dying man on the road. You know, what about us? How can we actually practically show the love of Jesus to the people outside? Should we wait for a dying man on the road before we show our kindness, 
I mean, that is already a state of emergency. That is extreme cases, taking risks and sacrifices. You know, I believe that you don't have to wait for those situations to happen in order for you to show the act of kindness of God. You can either share your treasure, you can share your time, you can share your talent to other people. And you don't have to go far. Just by being kind to the people around you every single day, guess what? It will cause a ripple effect of the goodness of God around us. You don't have to, you know, go out in the, you know, Amazon or in the province to be able to. Yeah, you can do that. But, you know, just every single day, just doing it consistently and regularly. Just being kind to your wife, husbands. And wife, kind, being kind to your husbands. Everybody say amen to that, okay? Just showing kindness to one another is a big deal already. Amen. How many of you sometimes it is possible that you are more kind to the people outside your home than among the people in your home? Are we here this afternoon? Minsan mas masungit pa tayo sa mga tao sa bahay eh kasi kilala naman nila tayo eh. Pero pagkasalabas, ay ang babait. Right? You know, sometimes, you know, you're about to fight in front of the counter and then somebody will greet you, Hi, Pastor! Biglag, you'll behave. One of our friends is actually well, calling, I think a, I'm not sure if it's a bank or a credit card firm, something like that, but the wife was calling on behalf of the husband. And so, I'm gonna use another name, okay? So that I will not incriminate anybody. Let's say that the pastor is called Pastor Boy, okay? So this wife was calling this call center person and, you know, she was really just very, very adamant about the concern. You know what? You know, we're here. We've been long-time uh, clients of this bank and, you know, how can you treat us this way, okay? So, uh, ma'am, what's the full name of your husband, okay? My husband's full name is Boy, you know, pastor, boy, I don't know, he didn't use the word pastor, but boy, magtoto, something like that, okay? I, sorry, I, I couldn't, you know, think of a term right now. Boy, mag, oh, pastor, boy! And then suddenly the wife just changed her tone. Ah, okay, what service do you attend, you know? Do I see you in church? You know, because sometimes, you know, we need to be careful, with the people that we actually talk to every day. Amen. If we are kind in our homes, guess what? It will be exported outside our homes. It doesn't have to be in a state of calamity or emergency before you show your act of kindness to other people. You don't have to wait for that person who's lying almost dead on the road before you show your act of kindness to another person. But us being a Christian, I believe what is expected is that we show our kindness and our compassion to everybody that we meet every day. And can you imagine if you and I would just do this regularly, just becoming a good Samaritan, even without expecting anything in return. And this good Samaritan, guess what? He brought the guy to the inn. He gave two denarii to the innkeeper and he said, Whatever else he needs, you tell me, I will complete what I have started. Pag sindimulan mo, tapusin mo. And he committed himself 
to the point of that person recovering fully without even expecting anything in return. My question is, will we just give to people if we will get something back in return? Or are you willing to help another person even if there's no expectation and no strings attached, even if ilista mo na lang sa tubig, but you will go out of your way to be a blessing to other people. That is, I believe, what good Samar- being a good Samaritan is all about. Compassion will always lead to action. James 2, 16, 17, if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but there's nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Is dead. In other words, faith without works is dead. The basis of our faith is not on good works, but the proof of our faith is good works. We basically need to practice our Christianity. It has to be felt by the world around us. Being a good Samaritan does not give you eternal life, but having eternal life ought to make you a good Samaritan. Amen. It should exude out of us because of our gratitude and our relationship with the Lord. Then being a good Samaritan should be an outflow and an overflow of our ministry and our devotion with our Lord Jesus. We will not put our basis of salvation. And the Apostle Paul took the time to clarify that uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We will never be justified by being a good Samaritan. But if we have been justified by faith and we have believed in the work of Christ on the cross, then I believe being a good Samaritan will follow. Amen? That we need to practice our Christianity. Tim Keller said this, the good Samaritan always points us to the great Samaritan. In reality, it was us who was the one lying on that road, beaten half dead, until the great Samaritan, Jesus Christ, came along. He came from heaven to earth. He went to us. And the Bible says, while we were yet his enemies, he died for us. And he loved us. And he bound us. And he forgave us. And he took us in. Basically, What he did was he turned us from being dead to now being alive. Really, it points us to the picture that Jesus Christ ultimately is the great Samaritan. We do good not because we are good, but because Christ has done us good. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise this afternoon? You know, we're we're just so blessed. And I, I know that... Many of you are probably doing something in your personal life. Maybe you're helping a friend or maybe you're helping some relatives in whatever. Maybe you're supporting um, organizations or foundations already. 
in doing your part, and that's great. You know, but I am so grateful also for our movement that somehow we're doing our share in making this world a better place. In fact, our victory vision or our Every Nation vision is to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. We're not just a church who's interested in preaching the gospel. Yes, that's the most important thing because we believe that that's the ultimate need of man and that's the ultimate human right. Amen. But aside from the preaching and aside from moving in the Spirit of God is God calling us to becoming socially responsible. And many of you are familiar with our foundation called Real Life. Our church has always put a premium on social responsibility and that's why we have Real Life Foundation. This was founded by Dr. Joey uh, Castro when he was still a pastor in Pasig. He had a burden to basically reach out to the poor in his community and it was started with a handful of underprivileged students who could not afford education in college. And what he did was he started a very small uh, thing inside their community in helping them to move on and have scholarship. To date, we have actually produced 341 university and vocational graduates from Real Life Foundation. Can we see Lord praise for that? And this is just a quick report for us. And this is not just saying that, you know, if you're victory, stay with real life. No, what we're saying is we're doing something as a church to bless our community. And we're just here to basically highlight what God has done through our church and through our ministry, real life. And we just want to give you also a quick report on how God is using us as a good Samaritan. Not... To be accepted by the Lord. God accepted us already. But to be a blessing to the world out there. And the way we qualify our scholars is not, okay, are you a Christian? Then you're qualified. No, even non-believers, we have pre-qualified them simply because we found the potential of these students. And eventually, this scholarship led to our preaching of the gospel, ministering to them, and ministering even to their families out there. Our church here in Alabang currently have 12 scholars. And we've actually produced, I think, two scholars already who graduated. One is Jemima, and she's working already. And the other one is third. And third is actually an incoming campus missionary that we have, and he'll be studying by next year. Product of free life, and now he wants to pay it forward by actually serving again in the campus where he actually studied. As a church, we're... We're really wanting to make an impact in the society where we are. And so being a good Samaritan does not have to be all in here. You know, you in your own personal, you know, walk with your own spheres, you can actually be a good Samaritan outside. Amen. But what we're saying is as a church, we can do something together. And if we pull our resource, I believe that we can actually even produce more scholars that can be you know, a blessing in society in the future. And so uh, we do what we have, uh, we do have what we call uh, real life talks. Can you all stand up right now and let's just pray. Let's close our eyes and bow your heads. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for sending the great Samaritan to us. We used to be left, Lord God, by the devil beaten and not just bruised, but dead. 
But yet, the great Samaritan, Jesus Christ, came along and He turned things around for us. And I thank you that once we were dead, but now we are alive in Him. We were lost, but now we are found in Him. And if some of us are here this afternoon and you feel like you don't know Jesus and you don't know Christ yet personally, once again, as the story has unfolded, for us in the Good Samaritan, the whole point of that particular parable is not doing good to go to heaven. Doing good is only a proof of our eternal life with Christ. And if you are here and you're not sure yet about your eternal life, I want to invite you to a simple prayer right now as all heads are bowed down. I mean, all heads bowed down, all eyes closed. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just pray this prayer. I'd like to invite everyone to pray along with me. Just pray, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Thank you for giving your life on the cross to be a sacrifice for my sins. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe that He is raised from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for giving me eternal life. Thank you for making me part of your spiritual family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.